One more time, can we thank our worship team for leading us? You guys are awesome. Absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. So, I think I was in the fourth grade when I was in Mrs. Mayfield's class. And the way Mrs. Mayfield structured her class is every month we rotated the seats that we were sitting in. So we'd kind of go around the room and get a chance every month to sit with different people. And on this specific Monday morning, I remember walking into Mrs. Mayfield's class and sitting down and sitting across from me was the one and only Brittany. Now, yes, yes. Now, now, look, here's the thing. I didn't know Sarah at that point yet, so don't judge me, okay? I didn't know Sarah at that point, didn't know Sarah. So before Sarah, there was Brittany. And I remember sitting across from Brittany. I remember sitting across from Brittany. And uh, we're kind of talking and getting to know each other. And, and throughout the month, conversations are going well. And I've got a big crush on this girl. And, and then one... Friday, one Friday, Brittany and I are talking, and then she starts playing footsies with me underneath the table. Now, you guys, you're junior high students, you've been through your love stories, you get it, okay? You understand. You understand, and you remember, you remember, I know it was a long time ago, but you remember when you were a fourth grader and you know, you know that when somebody plays footsies with you underneath the table, the next step is marriage. That's just how it works, right? That's just how it works. Yeah, or so I thought. At the end of that day, Brittany invited me to come to go to her house this weekend. It was a big deal. It's a big deal, you guys. And she said this. I mean, I was already going to say yes, but she, she sweetened the deal. She said, here's the thing. You should come over this weekend because I have a trampoline in my backyard. Okay. She said, my mom stocks the cabinet with fruit roll-ups. Yep. Fruit roll-ups. And, and... I've got a ton of Capri Suns, okay? <laughs> you guys get it. You guys get it. You, you get it. You, you understand. You, you understand what's happening here, okay? I'm thinking we're gonna get married and what she just described is the perfect wedding reception, okay? That's the dream scenario. So on that Saturday morning, on that Saturday morning, Mom and I jump in the minivan. We go cruising over to Brittany's house and my mom and Brittany's mom are having a conversation in the living room and Brittany and I are in the backyard and we're jumping on the trampoline and having the fruit roll-ups and Capri Suns. It was great. And then Brittany said, hey, did you bring your rollerblades? And I said, yeah, I, brought, I always bring my rollerblades. Yeah, of course I brought my rollerblades. Same, right? And she says, let's go rollerblade to the bottom of the street because our parents aren't there. So we strap on, 
So we strap on our rollerblades and we go scooting down to the bottom of the street. And Brittany looks at me and she says, Eric, I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> I know, I know, I get it. It's crazy. So I close, so I close my eyes. Now here's the thing, you guys. Full disclosure, full disclosure. I'm a fourth grader. Up to this point, I've only kissed mom. Like, I don't know how this works. You know what I mean? I don't know how this works. So I close my eyes and I get ready for what's expected to be the best moment of my life. And Brittany, while my eyes were closed, Brittany grabs two like giant clods of dirt and she just like drops them right on my hands. And then she goes, ha ha ha, and then just rollerblades away, right? And I was like, I was like, look, look, we're hitting a rough patch. That's okay, we're hitting a rough patch. Maybe this is what girls are like, I don't know. You know, I don't know, I don't know. So, needless to say, it was the best Saturday of my life. And then Monday rolled around. And Monday morning, I go to school. I walk into Mrs. Mayfield's class. And it's that Monday where she's changed all the seating. And so, you guys are such an empathetic group. This is, this is like counseling for me. This is actually really helpful. So thank you. Thank you. I used to think I was kind of stupid for feeling this way, but now I feel validated. So thank you. Um, I'm sitting all the way over here, this side of the room, and Brittany is sitting all the way over here on this side of the room. And I look, and from this corner of the room, from this corner of the room, I look, and sitting across from Brittany is a kid named David. And I'm telling you, David played, David played peewee football. Uh, David, could, David could bench press like eight pounds. I mean, the kid was ripped. He was a lot. All the girls like David. And you guys, I look over there. I look over there. And I look underneath their table. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, yeah, yeah. The obvious happened. David and Brittany are playing footsies underneath the table. It's crazy. Now, now let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, guys. Let me, t hold on, hold on. We're not gonna hate on Brittany, okay? Thank you, though. I actually appreciate that. I feel loved, thank you. Anyway, um, here's what's crazy. Here, here's, here's the saddest part of that whole story, okay? Here's the saddest part of the whole story. That happened probably like 25 years ago, okay? 25 years ago. And as I'm telling you this story now, I'm still a little angry at David, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still a little hurt. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Stay with me for a minute. When we talk about, like we talked about on night one, that Jesus is eternal, that he created the world. 
that he's given us a new identity, that, that he left heaven for us, that, that we've been given an identity as an image bearer. And if we follow Jesus, we're children in his family. And, 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 and if we take seriously what we talked about last night, that, that God's word is reliable and trustworthy, that as we looked at so much evidence from even outside of the scriptures that point to the validity of the prophecies that have been fulfilled, of the, the trustworthiness of this text that we're reading as it matches perfectly with those that were originally, the, the original copies of it, we're left at this place where maybe you're thinking, okay, I get that God is eternal and powerful and amazing. I get that his word is trustworthy, but the reality is life is painful. Life is hard. Life is messy. How do I reconcile this holy, perfect, loving God and this, this perfect message from God in the Bible with the reality that life is just hard and difficult? And it's why last night was so important, and I, I just wanted to drill in just real quick for a second. It is so important that we understand. And I'm gonna say something bold, but I, I, just, I deeply believe it that it is impossible to grow in your relationship with God apart from reading his word. That it's impossible. In the same way that it's, it would be impossible for my wife Sarah and I to have a great marriage if we weren't communicating often. If we only, if we only chose to communicate when we came up to a camp or a retreat once a year or, or once a week at youth group, we would have a horrible relationship. And for some of us, for some of us, we're sitting here and we're like, I just wish God would speak to me. I just wish God would talk to me. And I feel like God wants to lovingly respond with, are you kidding me? I don't just want to like give you a text or a tweet or a blurb. I wrote you 66 books that I love you so much. I chose to use every genre imaginable. I chose to use 40 different authors. I chose to write to you over a 1600 year time period because I don't want you to miss how much I love you. You see, to help kind of illustrate this, I need, where's Joshua at? Joshua and I were talking earlier today. Where are you at, Joshua? Can you guys give Joshua a round of applause? All right. And I need all these dudes right here. You guys, come up here real quick. Hurry, hurry, jump on stage with me, jump on stage with me. Okay, Joshua, you're gonna stand right here. You're gonna stand right here. Okay, all right, guys, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. All right, here's your job, okay, Joshua. We're gonna throw up a scripture on the screen. You're not allowed to look at it, okay? Not allowed to look at that. Guys, okay, you get to play the bad guys, all right? Here we go, you get to play the villains. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna surround Joshua and you can't touch him or anything, but what I want you to do is I want you to yell as loud as you can. And I'm gonna be in the back of the room right here and I'm gonna try to read a scripture to you, Joshua, and I want you to try to listen to me read it to you and then I want you to try to say it out loud. And your guy's job is to make that literally impossible for him, okay? All right, so let's get three on this side, three on the other side, surrounding him. And you guys got to give him a little bit of space. Hold on. You got to give him a little bit of space. There we go. And then you guys go berserk. Are you okay with this? You're good with this? Okay, here we go. Here we go. And Jackson, if you can take off my, if you can turn off my mic real quick. All right. Here we go. Here we go. You ready, Joshua? All right, here we go, brother. This is your moment. All right. Villains, ready, set, Go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. All right, villains, stop, 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 villains. Villains, stop. Wow, they're going for it. Hold on. All right, Joshua, 
That was pretty cool, huh, guys? That was cool. All right, Joshua, what was the scripture that I said? I love that. All right, guys, let's try it again. Get around him again, and I want you to make it as difficult as possible for him. Ready, set, go. Joshua! Whoa! 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 <laughs> All right, stop right there. Stop right there. Joshua, what scripture would I, was I trying to tell you? Read it out loud. Y'all give Joshua a round of applause on the villains. Thank you guys, that was awesome. That was awesome. You can take it. Here's the reality, friends. Here's the reality, don't miss this. Don't miss this. You and I, you and I live in a world that is screaming. Whether it's what we're inundated with on social media, whether it's all the videos coming at us through YouTube, whether it's what all of our friends and family are saying, what the people on our sports teams and our schools are saying, the world is screaming around you and I. And if you, if you put distance between yourself and God's voice, you are not going to be able to hear him because the world is going to continue to scream. Trying to get the world to not scream is impossible, but you have the option, like Joshua chose in that moment, to receive the message, to receive the word, and to be able to proclaim it, and to be able to believe it. And I want you to just reflect for a quick second, and then we're going to jump in. Right now, are you getting direct messages from God, or are you struggling to hear him because you're so far away from him? You see, if you just rely on Hume Lake summer camp, if you just rely on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, if you just rely on your youth pastors and your leaders to try to tell you things about God, it's going to be as if your relationship with God is at a distance and it is going to be hard to hear because the world is screaming around you. But you and I have access to God. We have direct access to God through his word. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at one story in John chapter 4. And you can open up your Bibles right now. We're going to look at one story in John chapter 4 where we're going to learn some more significant truths about who Jesus actually is. Because for maybe some of you, this week is the first time that you've been able to get closer to who God is. And maybe you feel like, yeah, I, I used to sort of be at a distance from him and I couldn't really hear him, but this week, all of a sudden, I'm getting closer and so I want you to be able to see who Jesus is and what's true about him because in a couple nights, I'm gonna give you the invitation to give your entire life to him. And I don't mean just a part of your life. I don't mean just like, you know, one aspect I don't just mean give him your Sundays or your Wednesdays. I'm talking about Jesus wants your entire life. And so I want you to know who you're giving your life to. In John chapter 4, 
we're going to discover this amazing interaction between Jesus and this woman. And what you need to know is this. That in this story, we're going to meet a Samaritan woman. And we know Jesus is a Jew. And what we know culturally and historically is that there was about 500 years of racial prejudice, hatred, and tension between Jews and Samaritans. And because of a lot of things that happened within their histories and because of different beliefs, there was this hatred between them. In fact, most Jewish people would grow up believing there was nothing good in a Samaritan and you should stay as far away from them as possible. And most Samaritans would grow up believing there's nothing good about those Jews and you should stay as far away from them as possible. But Jesus chooses to use this interaction with a Samaritan woman to show us four very important things about who he is. So if you're the note-taking type, I want you to write this down. Here's four things Jesus always is. Here's four things that Jesus always is. Number one is this. Jesus is always completely free. Jesus is always completely free. And by that meaning free to do what he wants to do. In John chapter four, the story begins like this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once again, once more to Galilee. I gotta just pause here for a second. I love what's going on in this moment because the Pharisees are trying to like stir up some drama. They're They're trying to stir up some stuff and Jesus ain't playing their game. He doesn't care about the tea. He doesn't care about the gossip. He doesn't care. He's choosing to remove himself from a situation where people are gossiping and backbiting and talking negatively about each other. And I just love that about Jesus. And I wish that was more true about his followers. And this is a total aside, but but we have to remember that as, as followers of Jesus, our job is to emulate him that by the power of the Holy Spirit is to to follow him and to act like him and to speak like him and to have the, the values he has. And when Jesus is tempted to gossip, when Jesus is tempted to lean into drama, he runs for the hills. Is the same true for you? Do you run to the drama and the gossip or are you running far away like your savior? Let's keep going, verse four. Now he had to go through Samaria. We'll talk about that in a minute. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, let me catch you up to speed. Jesus decides to leave Judea and travel to Galilee and he chooses to go through Samaria. 
Now, this was an incredibly unpopular, uncommon decision on Jesus' part because actually what most Jewish people would do if they were traveling from Judea to Galilee is they would go the longer route, which took six days. You would go north to Jericho. You would cross the Jordan River, and then you would continue north. That's how 99% of Jewish people traveled from Judea to Galilee, a six-day journey just to avoid Samaria. That's how much Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other. But Jesus chooses to take the shorter path, which is literally half the time. The, the, the shorter path only takes three days straight from Judea through Samaria into Galilee. But in order for Jesus to do that, he has to enter into a hostile location. He has to go into a space that his disciples, that the Jewish people he grew up with, would not have been comfortable with him doing. And then Jesus meets a woman who was there in the middle of the day drawing water. And this is really, really significant. In this culture, in this time in the ancient Near East, it was very common practice for women to go to the well and draw water together. And that would happen in the mornings and it would happen in the evenings. And, and there were a number of purposes behind that. It was safer when they were all there together. It was cooler in the mornings and the evenings. And it served as a time of socializing. And so women would come in the mornings, get water, connect with each other, socialize, and then take them back to their families, and they would do that in, at evening as well. Yet here is this woman at the well in the middle of the day, at the hottest time of the day, and nobody else is there. See what this tells us, as we'll see in a little bit, is this woman has been outcast from her community. That she doesn't have any friends that are meeting her at the well. That something has happened within her relationship with her community and her culture that has pushed her outside of friendships and outside of normal practices like going in the morning and going in the evening. In other words, Jesus is in the wrong place, Samaria. He's there at the wrong time, noon, and he's interacting with the wrong person, a Samaritan woman. But remember our text in verse 4 said Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Except for him, he had to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus is completely free. That Jesus can do what Jesus wants to do. That Jesus isn't held down by any cultural norms, that Jesus moves about freely. This means he's gonna work in our lives in crazy ways. That, that Jesus will literally break down whatever walls he has to to get to you. That Jesus will meet you at, at the place where nobody else would meet you. On, on that Friday night or that Saturday night where you've just participated in something that you would never want your parents or your youth pastors to know. Or, or that evening you spent looking at things online that, that you would never want your parents or your leaders to know. Or you began that rumor that's spreading out like wildfire and you hope nobody finds out who was the source of it. It's in those shameful, broken, sinful places that Jesus 
wants to meet us. And that's precisely where Jesus meets this woman. Number two is this, write this down. Jesus is always all-knowing. That not only is he completely free, but Jesus is always all-knowing. Check out how the story continues. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, are you crazy? Like, well, she doesn't understand what's going on. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Do you hear the cry of her heart? She's going, get whatever this water is. Whatever this eternal fountain is that you're describing, I want it because every time I show up here at noon, I'm reminded that I'm isolated from my community. I'm reminded that nobody loves me. I'm reminded of the brokenness in my life. Verse 16, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Dang, Jesus. I mean, we all grew up thinking Jesus was just like this like hippie that floated on a cloud that was like, like Oprah, like you get a Porsche, you get a Corvette, you get like, 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 Jesus is going for it. I mean, he looks at this woman. And he's like, the decisions you're making, I know about them. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's trying to like sidestep the conversation, right? She wants to get as far away from that last statement that Jesus said as possible. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know do know. Let me pause here for a second. Jesus completely knows all of your sin and all of your brokenness. That as much as you've tried to hide it from your parents, hide it from your families, hide it from your leaders, maybe even hide it from your friends, Jesus is all-knowing. That just as he was able to look at this woman and confront her in her sin, he can do the same thing to you and he wants to do the same thing to you. And in other words, your brokenness is known by God and yet at the same time you are safe in his hands. 
Your brokenness is known by God, but you are safe in his hands. Why do I say that? Because twice Jesus tells her the good news. He tells her that he has living water, that he invites her to drink, that he has eternal life to give her. And then once he says, but we must address this sin because this sin is getting in the way. In other words, students, God hates your sin because your sin hurts you. That's why God hates your sin. God hates your sin because he sees how your sin is hurting you. How your sin is creating distance between him and you. God has not turned his back on you. We have turned our backs on God. And yet he is all-knowing. He can see it completely. And and here's what's mind-blowing to me. He knew this about this woman before he ever got there. And yet he still chose to go through Samaria because he had to go through Samaria. Because while God knows all of our sin, he also deeply desires to forgive us, to redeem us, and to call us back into relationship with him. And we see this all throughout the Gospel of John where he knows what people are going through, what people are struggling with, what their issues are before they even voice it. I just want you to hear this. In Psalm 139, verses seven to 10, David, he says, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I I know that full well. The Bible says that there's no place we could go to fully escape from God and that he knows all of our stuff and that he knit us together. When I was in the seventh grade, I signed up for a, literally a sewing class as an elective. And, and I did it because there was two guys in the class and 30 girls. And so I was like, those are good odds. You know what I mean? Like those are, those are good odds. So I sign up for this sewing class. I, I, sign up, I sign up for this sewing class. And I'll, it should be fully transparent. I'm like, how hard could sewing be? Like it just, it's, it can't be that hard, right? Can I tell you guys something? I spent, we had one assignment. It was to make a pillow, right? I thought I was going to make a pillow on the first day, then just get to hang out and it was going to be a blast. I spent that entire semester, every minute of that class, trying to sew this stupid pillow together, poking my finger, not getting to talk to anyone because it was one of the most difficult things I had ever done. And afterwards, at the end of the class, I looked at that pillow and I would not give it to my worst enemy. I mean, it was a bad pillow. But I remember... I remember reflecting on that later going, wow, to knit together that pillow was such, such a demanding, intentional, focused task. And the imagery that the Bible uses for how God brought you into this world, every single one of you, is that he knit you together. 
I learned some things. If you're going to knit something together, you got to really care about it. You, you got to be really focused. You've got to be diligent and intentional. And the truth is that God knit every single one of you together. And he loves you so much. And at the same time, he knows exactly what he's getting with you. He knows all that you're struggling with. Maybe some of you have been hiding from God for so long and you just needed to come to chapel tonight to hear this. You can't hide from God. He's already seen it. He already knows it. He wants you to bring it to him. Point number three is this. Jesus is always all-powerful. So not only is he completely free, not only is he all-knowing, but Jesus is always all-powerful. Let's go back to verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You guys, this is so cool because sometimes when you read the gospels, Jesus, like somebody will ask him a question and he kind of like, doesn't give always this like super clear answer. That sometimes it's left like, wait, Jesus, how? You could have answered that like a little bit more clearly. And yet what I, what I take away from this is that Jesus loved this Samaritan woman who because of her sin was isolated from community, who assumed that God never wanted anything to do with her. Jesus wants to make sure she doesn't miss the good news at all. That, that he wants her to know very clearly, I am that Christ that you are looking for. I am that Messiah. I am that Savior. I am the Lord of Lords. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said, to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Notice that in verse 21, Jesus said to her, you will worship. He invites her to not be consumed by the mountain debate about which mountain should we worship God on, but he says, you're invited to worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, I just told you that I know you've been with five guys and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Yes, I know that you're here at noon and that you've been isolated from your community. Yes, I know all the sin in your life, and yet I still, because I am all powerful, I can still make room for you in my family. You see, you and I, we, we, we oftentimes worship 
one of the four R's, and you can write this down. We worship one of the four R's. We worship our reputation. We worship recognition. We worship relationships. Or we worship resources, things that we have. And Jesus invites her to not worship any of these counterfeit R's, but to instead worship the one true redeemer. He makes space for her because he's all powerful. Jesus does something here that was culturally unfathomable. He, in this single passage, creates a pathway for reconciliation between Jews and Samaritans. With 500 years of hatred and tension and prejudice between them, Jesus says there is a pathway for us to be reconciled, and it begins with me. And here's what's so cool. It is this same Jesus, he performs miracles all over the place. He, he, he turned water into wine. He raises one of his best friends from the dead. He feeds 5,000 people. He's over and over again performing miracle after miracle. And yet he's stopping long enough to talk with this woman and to display power. And you see, God is still in the business of doing miracles. I I was in uh, Kenya, Africa a number of years ago, over 10 years ago. And we were on a missions trip and and we went to the house of, of a couple, Joshua and Miriam, and, and they had made it their life work to, to adopt babies with HIV and to nurture them and to care for them and to help raise them and to give them an education and to introduce them to Jesus. And this couple, Miriam and Joshua, they loved Jesus and they depended on him every single day. When we were sitting in their living room, they told us a story about one afternoon, they opened the fridge and realized that there was no more milk for these babies. And these, HIV, these babies with HIV, they depended on this milk for their survival. And they had no milk and no milk coming anytime soon. And so they started to pray. And they said, God, we need milk. We need milk for these babies. And not two hours later, they got a knock on their door. Miriam opened the door and it was a truck driver. And he said, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I'm a, I'm a milk truck delivery man and my truck just broke down right in front of your house and I've got a bunch of milk in the back that is gonna spoil. Do you need any milk? And she said, yeah, we need some milk. You see, God... God is powerful. God works miracles. That Jesus, his teaching, his miracles all demonstrate his power. They're signs. They're symbols of the reality that he actually is God and has power over all things. And then lastly, number four is this. 
Jesus is always able to use your pain for good. Jesus is always able to use your pain for good. Jump with me to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus makes himself very visible. He makes it very clear to her that he is the Messiah. And in this mass group of people, they declare that he is truly the savior of the world. And it's all in a space and a location that according to Jesus' time, he should have never been. But here's what's interesting to me. This woman who was isolated from her community, who was showing up to the well at noon, has an encounter with Jesus and then she runs into her town and she leads with, this Jesus told me everything I've ever done. In other words, this part of her life, this sin, this brokenness that she was ashamed of that kept her isolated now becomes the launching pad for her testimony of God's power on display in her life. I don't know what hard things you've gone through. Some of those are things you've done, sins in your life that have brought about consequences. Some of you have experienced the sins of others. There's things going on in your life, suffering that you're experiencing that, that you didn't have anything to do with, that, that you're just kind of collateral damage in that. And then there's brokenness and consequences in your life because of sinful choices. What I love about Jesus is that he is able to use your pain or your sin or your shortcomings or your weaknesses or the things that you would want to change about yourself. He could use it to draw others to himself. In other words, students, if you want to have influence if you want your life to have meaning, it will not come from you posting pictures of you wearing the newest things, of you displaying this, this portrayal that you have it all together. True influence, true significance, true meaning and impact will come from you experiencing Jesus and then authentically telling others, hey, here's what my life looked like before Jesus. Here's the brokenness of my life. Here's the decisions I've made. Here's the things that happened to me. Here's, here's the sorrow and the pain and the brokenness that my life has been. And yet because Jesus is absolutely free, because he's all-knowing, because he's all-powerful, Jesus did what only he could do. He put the pieces back together and he's using my brokenness. He's using my past to encourage others, to give others hope, and to point others to Jesus. When my wife and I 
celebrated our eight-year wedding anniversary. So we've been buried. It'll be 13 years this summer, uh, in, next month. When we... It's, our anniversary is July 25th. So we're like always up at camp for our anniversaries, which was always the dream when we got married that we would celebrate our anniversary every year with like hundreds of teenagers. Like that's always been the goal. And, uh, and so on this one afternoon... On this one afternoon, we kind of got away from camp and, and we went and had dinner together and, or, or lunch together. And on our way to lunch, we said, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's think through the last eight years of our marriage and what have been like the eight great things that we've seen Jesus do over these last eight years. So let's look back. Let's think back to the last eight years. What has God done over these last eight years? And you know what was crazy? Is at the end of that whole experience, six of those eight things were incredibly hard and painful when we were going through them. And in fact, they were the six things that we never wanted to go through. The six things that in the moment, we thought they might break us. The, the six things that, that, that was hard to see the light through them. And yet when we reflected on our years, on our eight years of ministry, God used these six things to make the list, the, the things that we look back at and we go, wow, that was a turning point. Wow, that was an amazing ministry opportunity and it was so hard in the moment, but wow, look at what God has done. Wow, that season of suffering and trials that was so painful and hard, but oh my goodness, God has done great things through that. And so no doubt there are many of you here who are suffering in some way or another. You're struggling. If it's sin, you got to bring that to Jesus. If it's things that are just happening to you, you got to bring that to Jesus. And have hope and believe that just like this woman experienced, that he was able to turn her sin, he was able to turn her pain into a story that pointed people to Jesus. Tim Keller says, Only if your meaning in life is rooted in something outside this world, will you actually be equipped for life inside this world? So here's my closing question for you. In fact, I want you to close your eyes right now. And here's my, here's my question for you to begin your time in cabins tonight talking about is this. What hard thing in your life are you struggling to trust in Jesus' hands? What hard thing in your life are you struggling to trust in Jesus' hands? And tonight, students, I want to invite you to share that with each other. Because Jesus is completely free. He's all-knowing. He already knows it. He's all-powerful. He can work through it. And he can heal you. And he can take that thing and use it for good. But it begins with you trusting it in his all-powerful hands. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my friends in this room. I thank you for these amazing students. And Lord, I just ask that as they go to their cabin times tonight, as they reflect on this story of how you interacted with this woman and, and what it displays about your character, that they would feel confident tonight to be vulnerable, to be honest, 
to share their struggles with each other. Because you're the God who performs miracles. You're the God who redeems. You're the God who forgives. You're the God who knows it already. And you're the God who can take the ugly, bad, painful, sinful, broken parts of us and use them to advance your gospel. So God, tonight, would we reflect on what is it that we are struggling to trust in your hands? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.